Welcome. Ah, uh, it worked. Okay. Yeah. All right. We pressed the button and suddenly <laughs> we're on the podcast again. The red ring of recording has we, yeah. blessed us once more. We're on Inherently Human. Episode 17. That's right. And uh, we promoted ahead a little bit at the end of episode 16 saying that we were going to talk about the inherent nihilism in any intelligent person's view of what the future holds for planet Earth. I'm Aiden DeBoard. Jim Newman. And I guess we can just kind of go right into it. You you did the pre-up for it. Yeah. Um, the only other thing is uh, the difference in our ages, which we usually like to mention. And uh, Aiden is a 20-year-old man. I'm 72. <laughs> uh, I mean, apropos of yeah, nothing. I, I don't know if it's relevant, but let's the, go. Actually, ahead. for this, I feel like that's yes, the it most is. relevant. It is, actually, because so, if you look at the actuarial tables. Actuarially. Yeah, actuarially. That, yeah, because insurance adjusters okay, are yeah. actuaries. Oh, okay. They look at the statistics. For example, the mm-hmm. 72-year-old man. Right. What's the lifespan, do you suppose? About another 15 some odd years. Yeah. Whereas. 20. 15 years puts you at 35. That's, that's, I don't even know if that's middle age. That's still young. Oh, strapping. Yes. That's you. (laughs) I don't even, I don't even know what year that is. You have to come to terms with your mortality. That's true. That's middle of the night stuff. Figure out what my, uh, what I'm going to do for work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, actually, the reason we want to talk about it is Aiden was talking about the downside of being Being 35 when he is 35, whatever year that might be, that's considerably in the future, well, 15 years. Uh, Where's the world going to be? 2019, 15. Can you do the math quickly? Not quickly enough, no. All right. It's a ways off. We've got a while. (laughs) Aiden is looking at the future that he is going to have to endure and then imagine newborns. I mean, the 2019 babies, Mm. what are they going to have to face? That's fair. So to reiterate what we had said in the last episode, in case you missed it, um, I am, (laughs) so being 20, I'm a millennial by full technicality, I believe. I guess. I think somewhere between... I've been called like three different things. I've been called Millennial, Gen X, and Gen Z. I have no idea which one I am. I'm I'm gonna go with Millennial because that's the one that makes most sense to me. All right. As cool. a as a '98 baby, I think Millennial is appropriate. Yeah. Well, I thought that originally a Millennial was a person that came of age. After 2000, and you are that. You came of age after mm. 2000, so wouldn't that be yeah. a millennial? So I don't know how they kind of dissolve no into Generation either. Z. I know they do, but I don't know how. But anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Sure. Um, and so, uh, not speaking for every millennial, not speaking for every person 20 and under, um, but being... Of this group, of this age group, I feel like I have some kind of say in it. Um, I want to clarify that I'm not an expert in anything. Um, 
I but feel you're like, an observer of the world and yeah, of your own life. Of course. I, yeah. Despite not being an expert in most anything, I still am a participant in everything. And so I, I still do see what's going on here. Um, and I hate to admit it, and I really do, but it, it needs to be said that I have little to no faith at all in the future that we have in store for us. Um, I think right now we're doing a whole lot of great things. Um, I think we're making a lot of progress with, um, you know, like solar power, electric use. Uh, we're doing less with fossil fuel dependency. These kinds of things. Uh, medicine is going on. I mean, cures, I, I don't... Cures for yeah. dread diseases, you know, cancer is less of a threat now than it had been for a long time. Right, so we've got, we've got a whole lot of things going on that are great, um, but it doesn't, unfortunately, outweigh what has happened and what is still happening. Um, so what I mean by that is, let's think about electric cars for a second. Mm -hmm. Let's think about the dependency of vehicles in modern day. Um, when was the last time you drove? Yesterday. Yesterday. Uh, what kind of car do you drive? I have a 2004 Volvo V40. Okay. It's a station wagon. All right. Um, and I drive a 2001 Honda CRV. Mm. Both of these are gas-powered vehicles that ultimately put out yeah, all kinds of noxious yeah. fumes, yes. And we're just two people in the city of Portland where there are... I mean, I'm looking outside right now, right outside your windows, and you live right next to a highway, and I can see so many different types of cars. I'm seeing red truck right there, brand new station wagon right there, silver mm. car, luxury car. Oh, there's a Prius. Someone's trying. I live on an interchange <laughs> and there is an overpass that goes right by my window. And I'm looking at all these cars and I'm noticing all of none of them so far have been an electric car. Mm -hmm. I've seen a Tesla or two, but can you afford a Tesla? No. No, neither can I. But yet, we are the ones to be blamed for things like climate change happening, you know? Or land being completely destroyed so that way we can have a quicker way to get from point A to point B, you know? And I just think it's unfair that we as very simple people who don't have the means to buy an electric car or anything like that are put to blame for something that has been happening for years before us, you know? Um, there's a lot of factories and corporations and mills and all these other kinds of things that are polluting the air, energy consumption, uh, coal plants. I feel like I'm being pretty preachy right now without having any actual information. Um, but kind of losing myself here well you're you're talking... I'm, a, I'm upset i'm upset about the way that things are going 
and I'm trying to formulate that into words, but it's just not happening for well, me right now. Well, does it seem in some way overwhelming? And would you say that you're alone in your group of friends with these feelings? Do others express with the intensity that you're talking about this view of what could lead eventually to the collapse of humanity not to as overstate we know it. it but yeah collapse of civilization are you alone in that view or do your friends share it i am most absolutely not alone, alone. in this okay i i there are so many people everybody in my classes everybody i hang out with people i know even my parents I mean, we're all on the same page here. Mm -hmm. We all know that climate change is real. And if you deny that, I... Anyways. um, And we can do as much as we can with recycling, getting a metal straw instead of a plastic one, reusing a bag or reusing a cup, those kinds of things. We can do everything we can, but everything we do still isn't enough to compare to what's being done. Um, I think I said something in the last episode where in the last few years or a frighteningly small amount of years, I think it's been 10 years, something like that, maybe 20, we have exhausted 50% of the world's natural resources. And I mean... In the course of human history, in 20 years, we have done more to ruin our planet than for 2,000 years, 3,000 years. Oh, yeah. Well, back to the dawn of Homo sapiens, I Mm -hmm. suppose. Uh, We have the wherewithal to do that. I mean, uh, the Industrial Revolution began the process of the consumption of the natural resources in a way that had never happened before, and it's given people a quality of life that everyone is kind of, I would say, addicted to. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, as well as I and everyone else, likes to be able to travel at will. Right. Whereas, even in the days of the covered wagons, I mean, the very idea of us traveling from Portland to, say, Oregon City, which is just a few miles up the Willamette, right. would have been some kind of ordeal, very likely. Yeah, no, that's a day's trip to sure. get up there. And so, in that way, it's been positive, and that is the reason, I think, that, generally speaking, society has been slow to acknowledge the cost of all the convenience. Because we're too used to our way of life. Well, we like it. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, that's human. People, it's inherently human. It's inherently human <laughs> for people to want pleasure. They want to simplify their lives. They want the least amount of effort for the greatest gain. Fair. And so, given that that's true, you still are angry about the situation and your friends are angry Mm -hmm. and I am in despair too (laughs) about the way it looks the world is going of course Mm -hmm. I've got a cop out at 72 yeah lucky you yeah lucky me mortality I don't have to worry about it but 
Um, I look at, and we're talking here in January of 2019, I'm looking at the Democratic House yeah. and the success of all of the women candidates and the success of people who adamantly believe that climate change is real. These are individuals who may well be in an accession of power. They may be aggregating more and more influence over time, and it could change the perspective. Another thing that's happening is that the white race seems to be in some ways losing the influence and the primacy that it has had for a long time and there seems to be a greater power of greater numbers of people from various cultures whatever the color of their skin and I think that in this aggregation of points of view and insights, there comes to be, and I'm saying in the small L sense, a liberality, a sense that the value of people is crucial and more so than what the stock market dictates or right. what the profit of General Motors dictates. I mean, it hasn't happened yet, for sure. Mm -hmm. But that is a possible way that things can go. Look at the passion with which you talk about this. You've thought about it a lot. You haven't, like, stuttered around and said, you know, I really am not happy about it. I don't know. <laughs> You're not talking that way. You're very articulate in you. talking about the failures. I think, so... Thinking about it politically, yeah. I am not a political person, in the slightest. Well, in some way you are, eh. because eh. all right. Eh. <laughs> I I try to get I try to stay out of politics as much as I can mm -hmm. personally, but I think with developments in House, Senate, and whatnot, um, how we're electing new people into these positions from much more diverse backgrounds, backgrounds yeah. and that is a really great step into the development of society as a whole yes because ooh, ooh, you know let's get fun with this so before we started today's podcast um i told you about what i read on reddit the article was that scientists have been researching and not, oh, what word am I looking for? Uh, identifying radio bursts from a galaxy 1.5 billion light years away. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that there is a now much higher probability of life elsewhere. That's how they're interpreting that. Mm-hmm. That's... Wow. It, it makes sense to me that that's what it would be. Whether we are alone or we're not, both ideas are equally as terrifying. However, um, I find this to be a very encouraging way to see if there's something else out there. And so what I'm hoping for 
is that we as people on Earth get our shit together. So we start with the U.S. It's a very powerful country. If we can finally figure out, um, if we can finally figure out how to unify ourselves within all of our differing cultures, uh, both in the U.S. and in all of our other yeah, countries, the, the so-called melting pot effect can right. have immense positive influence. I exactly. Think. And so, if we can unite the entire Earth as one. Instead of being this constantly feuding set of boundaries, then it would allow us to focus on what's more important, you know? Um, maybe finding extraterrestrial life is not the most important thing right now because we have far more local problems going on in the world. But I think if we are going to have contact with you know, any ET species where they're from however many billion light years away, I personally would like it to be we are the human race of Earth. We, I don't want to have our first encounter be I'm an American yeah. and welcome to America on Earth. But God, we do things different here. Yeah. You know, I, that's and obviously so, that I kind of accent is pejorative. <laughs> I didn't mean to be, but it is. We apologize for yeah. that. It's demeaning. Anyways, um, that's not the point that I'm trying to make. I'm not trying to say if they land in the South that we're all fucked. No. Um, I'm saying that I don't want the... I don't want to be represented by a country to extraterrestrial life, other intelligent species, because I want to be represented as the planet that I am from. Um, the way, so there have been times in media where this has been done. I think if you watch any science fiction in the future kind of thing, you see this kind of stuff. What? Um, where the Earth is unified as one, and instead of countries, it's Earth, and then other planets. Okay, right? because of uh, inherent threat from these other... I wouldn't call it a planets. threat, but I would think that these other planets have unified in themselves. Okay. So much so that they are no longer feuding, and if they are feuding amongst themselves, it's not this country against this country, it's these people against these other people. Um, but overall, the entirety of the planet itself has been unified as a, as a way to easier communicate with other planets. You know, it, so the best way that this, I've seen this done, and I think it is kind of silly that this is the best way that I've noticed, um, there's a show called Futurama. Have you heard of it? Is that the Matt Groening? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Exactly it's that. It's a cartoon, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very good cartoon, I have to say. It mm -hmm. is one of my favorites. I love it so much. The The guy who created The, Simp the Simpsons exactly. is the same creator of Futurama. And in that show, it is the year 3000. Um, and in the year 3000, there are still cities... But the Earth is unified under one flag, and that flag is the Earth flag. And 
using that, I don't know if I'd call it patriotism, but using that, the, the earth, earth is your nationality at that point. Yeah. And that's how they identify other people, how they identify other species is by planet, not by country and not by anything like that. And I think a good way to start the unifying of the planet is to start having people of all different cultures in power in every single different place. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think that the collapse of racial barriers Mm -hmm. is one of the most important things that is happening now and certainly it generates a huge amount of negative reaction and disturbance among people that don't want to see that happen but it might be the case that it's inexorable it might be and this would really be a positive thing in my view actually (laughs) that what will happen is and I'm exaggerating but what will happen is that everyone will end up with mocha skin Mm. and everybody will look pretty much the same same in a thousand years now look at jet travel look at how easy it is to move from place to place one positive effect of that might indeed be uh, an increasing familiarity between the cultures and Mm -hmm. the cultures themselves might seem to be increasingly useless except maybe for holidays, you know, if you want to celebrate <laughs> something in the middle of summer, then you should be, I don't know, a Hindu or a Buddhist for that time. Right. But you'll definitely be Christian on the 25th of December, something like that, <laughs> where everybody recognizes that all of these are expressions of humanity yeah. and that everybody starts to love that that's the case, that we all are in this together. Mm-hmm. And maybe the only way, and I hope this isn't true, but maybe the only way that could really happen is if some unimaginable disaster occurs. Oh, yeah. I mean, Some we are... Armageddon, really. We are still waiting on the Cascadia earthquake. That's, oh, that's dude. a couple while overdue. Yeah. Um, that might help. But I think... We... Here on Earth, with different cultures and different people, we have developed this way because we are small. You know, say, say, what do you mean by small? So think of the entire, just the observable universe that we can see. I mean, it's huge, it's expansive, and, and it's we are just... so much bigger even than we can see. Mm-hmm. There's a horizon line that the light hasn't got to us yeah. yet. Oh, yeah. And that's like 46 billion miles out there. Oh, if it was 46 billion miles, we've already been there. Light years more like well, it. Well, I that yeah, I'm I'm sorry. Forty six billion light years. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you for the correction. Forty six billion light years. That's older than they think the universe is. That is some sort of conundrum because mm-hmm. how can the universe have expanded 
faster than time. We could really get into oh the weeds of physics, and we are not ready for that. <laughs> but um, I don't know how we got onto that. Um, I what I was trying to say is. In that huge, expansive universe, we are just a tiny little speck. Yes. And on our tiny little speck, we it was hard for us, the tiny little specks on the little speck in the massive universe, to travel between our land masses. You know, it was, mm -hmm. we were so separated as people. And so that's, you know, how different cultures came to be. And I love that. But what we need is that we need to be able to be aware of everything that's in it. You know, we're, we're, we're very small-minded in that. So think about... Right. We don't meet, see much farther than our own self-interest. Exactly. And so a lot of issues, I think, what we have right now within culture and race and uh, anything like that is that we don't understand enough about it, and so we fear that. What we... And, and it's such a minimal problem because it only exists here on earth this problem is solely on this planet but if we found something that was so much bigger than ourselves so you know extraterrestrial life if an alien came down we now realize that we are not the only things here we're not i mean we're still pretty small but our problems are smaller than that you know, it's, it's, there's so much more that's going on out there. Right now, I'm reading a book. It's a fairly old book. It's my second time reading it called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm -hmm. um, Douglas Adams is the author, and he wrote five novels, and I am on the fourth one right now. And he, he goes a lot into this kind of idea where... The universe, as we understand it, is completely infinite. There are an infinite amount of things that could happen in the universe and an infinite amount of solutions to that. And we're talking about infinity here. There's no way a human can comprehend infinity. That's right. We can't. But infinity still exists. It's not impossible that infinity exists and so this minute tiny little problem that we encounter on this tiny little speck in infinity is just it's it's so small it, it's nothing that we can't get over you so know? you're advising I people just, to let go just Let go of their problems, be at ease. Don't you think psychology tells us that too? I mean, anyone... Do not hold to the aggressions and the hates and Anyone with half a mind to be nice to another person will say, you don't need to be angry. And you can be angry. Like, I've had a very angry day today. Mm -hmm. I, have, I have reasons to be angry today. Mm-hmm. But thinking about it in the context of universe and yeah. my problems compared to the infinity, I mean, they're so small. They're, And I know people right now, and I know a lot of people who might be listening to this podcast have their own issues and their own problems that seem really big in their world. And, you know, 
while we're still stuck in this very small, small plane of existence, I mean, those problems are big, and that's completely valid. But as a human species, we can come together. We can unify against, not against, but we can unify with each other and then explore the improbable infinity that's ahead of us if we just stopped giving so many fucks and um if we just learn to accept who people are you know i mean people are weird i'm weird i'd like to say that you're weird we're all weird because there is no normal you know and so in the infinity that is the universe in the infinity that is every possible outcome there is probably somewhere in the universe not even a separate dimension just in the infinite that is what is in this in this universe yeah there is probably a world exactly like ours where everyone has a single finger more that's possible because in infinity everything is possible yeah and so if you can accept a single additional finger, then why can't you accept somebody who has a different shade of skin yes. or a formulation of the cheekbones that is different than mine? It's just, there's so many things that we could be doing that we aren't. And that's why I'm so cynical about, you know, the future. And until we find something that truly unifies us as a species, I don't think we can ever really get there. Well, and I guess this is really, by definition, a negative, but in the advance of Homo sapiens or the hominid line, mm -hmm. what I've read is that there have been inflection points, bottlenecks, where humanity appears from looking at the DNA, looking at the genetics in the bones from the distant past, that the human tribe has dwindled to as few, on the entire earth, as few as several hundred people for reasons unknown. Mm -hmm. Some disaster hit. Right. And then if you look at the 13th century, the 14th century, the 15th century, what happened was the plague. Right. And so many people died that it boosted the economy because suddenly there's all this property and all of this, all this arable land up, yeah. with fewer people needing to be sustained, which mm -hmm. was great for the economy. <laughs> so one cynical... And I guess you really couldn't call it positive, but one dark view is that we may indeed be coming, and I don't envy you as a person who's 20, because you might have to face another inflection point, another place where the cards get redealt. Cascadia earthquake. Well, that's one, I mean, but that would only really affect the. Pacific Northwest, That's I mean, yeah. it would probably sink the U.S. economy. Uh, I talked to 
a geologist once, mm -hmm. maybe he was exaggerating, but he said the effect of a full-on Cascadia earthquake, by the way, <clears throat> that's where the oceanic crust is going under the North American crust, uh, about 20 miles off the coast, there's a crustal plate from the earth sinking down, down, down under the continent. And it isn't going that smoothly. It gets caught right now. That oceanic plate is caught. And if it were to shake loose along the whole area where, in fact, this subduction is going on, that would be from Alaska down to Humboldt County, California, something like that. Mm -hmm. That kind of earthquake, so said this geologist, would be very similar to a nuclear bomb blast. And he said oh that the rescue operation mm -hmm. would be taking place out of Boise, not Seattle, mm -hmm. not Portland, because this area would be, would be devastating. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's beyond our ken. You know, we can't Do anything envision about that. Yeah. that. I mean, when's the last time Mount Rainier erupted, for example? I mean, it has, so they say, this seems insane, but this is the power of the earth, and we are really, humans are kind of a, 10,000 year in the making infestation. Absolutely. On yeah. a plant, on a, on a planet that's been around a lot longer than that. But they say that Mount Rainier has built and collapsed, built to the size it is now, mm -hmm. 40 times, and then collapsed and then come back. Has it really? That's what they say. Oh my God. I mean, the power That's of the intense. earth yeah. is beyond our reckoning. And humans can be a simply solved problem. <laughs> All that has to happen is the Yellowstone volcano goes yep, off again. and sends a pyroclastic flow all over the Midwest, it would devastate humanity, probably. Or, it, look what happened to the dinosaurs, see? I mean, mm -hmm. it's a dark truth, but those I mean, things can how, happen. Yeah. Um, Mount Hood right now, the, the mountain that's closest to Portland, I want to say it's like 30 miles? Oh, it's, I think it's 60, but I, 60? I'm, not, eh, I'm not sure. Either way, um, Mount Hood is currently an active volcano. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the theory is supposedly that when Cascadia, the earthquake hits, any active volcano is going to erupt. And so, I mean, we saw what happened with Mount St. Helens. Yeah. And, I mean, that was catastrophic. And that was just dust. We have no idea, or at least I sure don't, what's inside Mount Hood, which I think is going to be absolutely catastrophic. There's no way that anything that comes out of that mountain is going to be in any way pleasant. The subduction zone earthquakes occur 
or have occurred every three to 500 years over the last 10,000 years. And they know that because they go out to sea and they get core samples from the ocean bottom because everything flows out there and then sinks. And so there are layers and layers of ash. Well, mm-hmm. Chris Goldfinger is a geologist at Oregon State. And he said that it looks to him as though Mount Adams mm-hmm. erupts virtually every time there's a subduction zone earthquake. I mean, nobody ever thinks of Adams erupting. Yeah. But on layer after layer out there during the turbulence that the subduction zone leaves as a record in the mud on the ocean floor, there's many times Mount Adams ash. Not every time, but then the, the reality is that the wind direction might very probably not carry it out every time, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that theory, I don't know where you read that, but the volcano's going off at the same time as the subduction zone. That's going to really look like Armageddon, man. Well, I mean, with the, the earthquake being so long overdue, um, my understanding of it is that Mount Hood is as well. Is that they are the earthquake and Mount Hood are going to be kind of directly related. Hmm. I don't know why. I don't know how... I'm not an expert. This is this is me hearing something and then saying it into a microphone. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but it makes sense that all of a sudden this massive and I today actually I heard from a classmate of mine that it was going to be up in the nine point something on that the Richter scale. Is if it really goes, that is what would happen. And so something of that magnitude would absolutely shake something in an active volcano to a point where it would trigger it. Well, it would disrupt the politics. I mean, the world that you and I know probably wouldn't would survive as we know it mm-hmm. if that particular natural disaster took place. Right. Just like if one of those super volcanoes go off, mm-hmm. Yellowstone being the most obvious one, I yeah, guess. Yeah, right. Uh, but that has happened... At other places, I mean, when I was on Oregon Field Guide, we did a story with a geologist who kept pointing out features in eastern Oregon that she referred to as rattlesnake tough. And tough is a word for solidified volcanic ash. So she was seeing all of these piles of solidified volcanic ash all over eastern Oregon. This was the eruption of a super volcano way back in time Mm -hmm. that unleashed a pyroclastic flow, which is a cloud of burning ash about 900 degrees. Mm -hmm. This eruption of a pyroclastic cloud was as large she said, as Switzerland. Oh, my God. The cloud yeah. was as big as a country. Was this the... I can't remember the name of the volcano, but the Crater Lake eruption? Oh, no. Um, no. Since that's... So oh, weird. that was 7,000 uh, 7, years ago. This uh, rattlesnake formation is millions of years old. Oh, okay. But certainly the explosion of uh, 
the volcano that would have looked, by the way, like Mount Adams that is now Crater Lake. Yeah. Uh, buried areas Every. miles away under eight feet of ash. I mean, we yeah. would be dead. That would be... Uh, Catastrophic. A, yeah. Apocalyptic. You know, it would be the end of the world. For it would be a pretty shitty time, to, to say the least. Yeah. So, I don't know, uh, would you say that this is the bright side? Having the, the cards reshuffled and that humanity's import and damage to the world is insignificant when compared to what nature can do on its own. Yeah. I mean, we've created these problems. Our problems. Our problems are of our own they fault. They are. And there, yeah. we can't blame a volcano no. for the racial injustice that people feel nowadays that we can't blame uh any natural disaster we can't blame the plague we can't blame anything other than ourselves for the mindless bickering that we do as humans that keep us from being unified as a species and instead we decide to continue to categorize ourselves within completely null and void uh well categories yeah. yeah thank you I was hoping to avoid categories. <laughs> <I> no, <know. laughs> because you have a certain elegance yeah. in the way you speak. <laughs> but yeah, that's the universe is an infinitely expanding piece of space with an infinite amount of things and intelligent life that is infinitely possible among an infinite amount of timelines, um, and so. It's huge. The universe is huge. As Douglas Adams put it in his book, um, <laughs> he, was a, uh, he was a British author, so a lot of it is weird British humor, but he says in response to how big the universe is, <laughs> you might think that it's a quite a long walk from your house down to the bar, but that's just peanuts compared to space. <laughs> yeah. That's all he has to say about that. It's big. It's really, 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 really big. Well, when you think of the, the threats that we face independently of man's inhumanity to man, it almost suggests that we all ought to snuggle quivering together and recognize a situation where it's all for one and one for all. Because in some sense, and I think you've been making the point through this entire 40 minutes of episode 17, that uh, we are all in this together, mm -hmm. only we don't seem to notice that Acknowledge particularly. It. Yeah. Well, I hope uh, we've had some insight for everyone listening. Um, I highly suggest Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Um, it's my favorite book of all time. Um, any closing thoughts, Jim? Um, no, except that I guess I'm curiously, given everything you've said, I'm yeah. curiously optimistic. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because I like your mindset. You have a clarity. You... Talk about the negatives, but you express them in some very positive ways. You, you, you use your insight, you apply clarity, you see the potential, 
inhumanity, and you describe it well. And so if you are emblematic of the Generation Zs and the Millennials and whoever else comes along, mm -hmm. then we got a chance, I'd say. I'd hope so. Yeah. I think uh, it might have to be aliens that solve our problems, <laughs> but if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Or a meteor. Oh, yeah. I mean, either way. Um, so, final uh, final takeaway? Are you Final takeaway? Well, just as negative as, I mean, really, your viewpoint is um, dark. Douglas Adams actually puts it best in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And he says... Um, in the beginning, the universe was created. That made a lot of people angry and has been widely considered a bad move. <laughs> <laughs> and that's... Uh, okay, but said with humor. <laughs> with humor. Which tends to mitigate the obvious downside of all that. <laughs> well, uh, I'm Aiden DeBoard. Jim Newman. And this has been Inherently Human number 17. Yes. We thank you for listening in, and we hope to see you in episode 18. We're seriously very appreciative <laughs> of you. Find us on Spotify. We're on Spotify. Now. And iTunes. iTunes. <laughs>